like to welcome everyone here this evening. My name is Gail Iverson, and I'm filling in for Mark tonight. He is um, leading a workshop uh, down in Iowa, and he'll be back on Sunday. He'll be leading the groups on Sunday. So I wanted to um, talk about uh, one of the paramis tonight, and uh, parami is one of the ten perfections of the heart, and it's um, common in Buddhist countries um, where there are a lot of lay practitioners, such as in Burma, for the um, the lay people, um, they'll do a retreat period um, every year, often two months in the summertime, because that's a tradition in their country. And then um, the rest of the year, they'll choose one of the paramis to practice, or they'll um, do them in a series. And so there are 10 of them. They're also sometimes called the 10 perfections of the heart. I'm just going to start by reading a description of them. As the being destined for Buddhahood, beings destined for Buddhahood are concerned about the welfare of living beings not tolerating the suffering of beings, wishing long duration to the higher states of happiness of beings, and being impartial and just to all beings. Therefore, one, they give alms or dana to all beings so that they may be happy without investigating whether they are worthy or not. Two, by avoiding to do them any harm, they observe morality, sila. In order to bring morality to perfection, they train themselves in renunciation, nekama. Four, in order to understand clearly what, a beneficial, what is beneficial and injurious to beings, they purify their wisdom, panya. For the sake of the welfare and happiness of others, they constantly exert their energy, virya. Six, though having become heroes through utmost energy, they are nevertheless full of forbearance, kanti, towards the manifold failings of beings. Seven, once they have promised to give or do something, they do not break their promise, truthfulness, satcha. Eight, with unshakable resolution, aditana, they work for the welfare of beings. Nine, with unshakable kindness, metta, they are helpful to all. And ten, by reason of their equanimity, upeka, they do not expect anything in return. So tonight I wanted to talk about the third of the paramis, renunciation. And um, we practice this, we learn to practice this um, really from early childhood. We're encouraged um, to practice this, um, this parami of uh, renunciation or restraint. Um, we're encouraged to um, to um, refrain from um, doing harm to other uh, children, and we're encouraged um, in school to be cooperative and to um, to not be di disruptive of things. So we've had a lot of training along the way. So it's a natural part of our character. 
But in this practice, um, we want to um, bring this more consciously to our minds. We want to notice it more regularly and investigate exactly what this um, restraint or renunciation, what what is this uh, quality of the heart. And by doing that, we we strengthen it. So um, one of the things at, um, I I did a 10-day retreat at the um, end of June with um, Steve Armstrong and Kamala Masters. And they said that in um, Burma, it's a tradition that if you are going to um, give someone something, it's, it's a very special event. And so um, Kamala wanted to uh, give one of the nuns at the monastery where she was practicing some gifts. She wanted to give her some medicine and some, forget, some other things that would be useful uh, for her. And so she told her that, and, and the nun said, well, um, let's set a time so that we can meet and you can um, give me these things. So it's you know, kind of like this beautiful ritual. And um, so they met, and you know, I was very gracious in receiving the, the offerings that Kamala had. And um, she said that that um, way of, of giving really makes an impact on the, on the mind and heart. And uh, at the retreat, they um, offered that people could come and give them the dana at the end of the retreat. And a number of people went up during the, um, during the closing ceremony and, and did that. And it really was quite impactful to, um, to see that uh, being offered, you know, not just to um, put it in a bowl. So um, in practicing these um, wholesome qualities of the heart, it's, it's really helpful to, um, to be um, conscious so they make a, an impact on the mind. And in that way, there's a... Um, it plants seeds for the future um, for them to, to um, be practiced more deeply. As I mentioned, in, um, from early childhood, we are encouraged to practice this, um, this wholesome quality. And um, I have two great nephews. Uh, one is three and one is five. And my sister was taking care of them last week, and she told me this story when she came home that um, the three-year-old had, I, I can't remember the exact thing that he did, but it was something that was quite provoking to the, um, to the five-year-old. And um, but the five-year-old, he was um, had a toy hammer and he was playing with his tool bench, and he just um, took the hammer and hit it a few times on his tool bench, and um, and then that was it. And it's kind of my sister was kind of amazed at his restraint um, because it was quite provocative, whatever this thing was, but. You know, I think I can only speculate what was going on in his mind, but um, perhaps he recalled that other experiences where he had hit back or yelled or whatever, you know, had acted 
um, out and it hadn't it had caused him suffering and so perhaps in this instance he remembered that and, and chose to act in a different way of course um, at, at that you know at three there's um, a lot of um, there hasn't been so much development of the character but there's a lot of causes and conditions that have that we bring with us um, as um, any parent has noticed um, how the personalities are so formed at such an early age so um, the the three-year-old is is like just really he's very gung-ho and very active and you know just really out there and the five-year-old is a little more reflective and, and uh, observing so um, they were out with their mother re- recently and um, the five-year-old saw a man smoking and uh, he said to his mo- mother he says um, I'm never going to smoke and uh, his three-year-old brother said mom I'm going to smoke on a motorcycle <laughs> so um, so we have um, even though we develop these qualities um, you know we, we kind of come in with with um, them developed to different degrees and the three-year-old is very loving, so he has a lot of meta and a little less restraint. <laughs> and um, so, you know, we, over our lifetime, we um, we can strengthen the qualities that um, we are already um, have um, developed, and then the qualities that we have less developed, we can choose to to work on those to to strengthen them. Um, So I'm taking care of um, my, my sister is gone this week and I'm taking care of her 14 year old um, Shih Tzu mix and um, he's kind of anxious because they're quite bonded and he's quite old and so I'm not quite a the perfect substitute for her so Last night, um, I, I went to bed, and, and uh, he was sleeping with me, and I heard him get up, and he started pacing. And so I, I just ignored him and tried to go back to sleep, but then he started barking. So I got up and encouraged him to come back to bed, so he did that. But then, like every hour or two, he would do the same thing so I was getting up so about three o'clock in the morning I was um, getting uh, really wanting to have some continuous sleep and um, I noticed that my patience was wearing them thin and so I started to get upset with him and but then it was really I quickly realized that you know that was not going to help the situation and so Instead, I, I actually put his lead on him and I brought him to bed. And, and that settled him down when he had his lead on. I guess that was enough restraint for him <laughs> and he was quiet. But I just reflected on that today and, 
you know, just realize, especially when we are in a sort of vulnerable state, like if we haven't had enough sleep or if our patience has been tried, um, just how important it is at that time to um, really practice special care and um, heedfulness so that um, we, um, we don't um, do something that's um, unwholesome and unbeneficial. But of course, we are going to do that from time to time. So then we can just notice what the effect of that is. And that has an impact on the mind, too, when we notice um, we notice that, not to um, repeat that. Um, it's so likely to repeat that behavior um, in the future. So we can um, sort of play with with these qualities, um, this quality of renunciation. Um, When we um, choose to practice or reflect on this quality, it's not that um, we're trying to impose, um, you know, we're not trying to be like stoical and so we you know like a stiff upper lip and don't you know determined um, you know not to do something um, and it's not like we're resigned to um, no, you know I have to be restrained it's um, it's more that we see the benefit of developing the quality and so we're interested in kind of Playing with it and seeing um, ways that we can we can develop it. So, you know, we can do some simple things like um, perhaps, um, like occasionally, if we're eating by ourselves, maybe we will um, will we won't have entertainment for that period of time. We'll just pay attention to the process of eating. And um, just see, you know, what is that like to, to be in the present moment most of the time um, when we're eating? We're not that consciously aware of the what's involved in that process, and just to, to notice um, the simple activity of you know bringing the food to our mouth and chewing and of. Um, you know, tasting the food and, and then of um, watching for the intention to take the next bite. Um, all those things can be um, really beneficial to the mind to um, develop this um, present moment awareness and to have some um, continuity with, um, with being present with uh, just the simple activities of our life that can be quite um, calming and pleasant for the, for the mind. You know, when I was growing up, it was common. I was raised a Catholic, so it was common during Lent to give something up. And um, candy was a popular thing to, to give up. And I was never I, I was never very successful at it 
as a child didn't have too much restraint when it came to giving up candy. But um, you know, so we can we can practice with something simple like that, something that we want, um, maybe just to give it up for a period of time and see what it's like um, not to act on, on that desire, um, just to see um, what uh, what comes what arises in the mind and the body when we um, when we choose to um, give up something that um, that we desire. And similar to the eating, uh, something we can do also is like we're uh, driving someplace um, from time to time. We can choose um, just to have silence in the car and, and just to pay attention to um, what's involved in um, just the act of driving, not thinking about um, what we're going to do when we um, get to our next location, but um, just bringing the mind back to the uh, present moment of just whatever sensations are involved with the process of driving, um, the sounds, the sights. Um, it, it, again, it can be a, a really um, relaxing and, and pleasant practice to us, for us. And then um, if things arise like irritation at other drivers, we're um, more in a, in a place to notice what that um, what that is like, and um, just to, to be present with you know what what is it like to be irritated, rather than to um, really believe the story about um, the um, the bad intentions of the other driver. <laughs> um, to to you know, just be present with with what's happening um, within us, um, n- noticing. Our reactivity, um, our, our reactivity is really to things is what really causes us um, most of our suffering, and so it's really helpful for us to to see um, how does that reactivity arise, and then um, we can notice that it is possible to abandon it, and um, that is uh, is a very powerful learning for the mind. To, to see that um, that's a place where we do have, uh, where we can develop control is over our um, reactivity and our resistance to, um, to situations. Another um, way that we can practice this um, parami is we can um, become more aware of our beliefs. And we can uh, practice um, letting go, being aware, and then um, seeing if we can uh, let go of of whatever we've noticed. Um, In the metta chant that we do um, at Common Ground on the first Friday of every month, there's a metta practice group that needs a group that uh, practices um, the development of loving kindness. And there's a chant that is um, sung at the beginning of that practice group. And it's the Buddha's words on loving kindness. And the last line of that chant is, um, by not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one is not born again into this world. And so, 
it means that um, by not holding to fixed views, that person has, that heart and mind have been purified, and um, there is uh, no arising of suffering um, at that point. So much of the time, our beliefs are are just um, so much a part of us, we don't even see them as beliefs. Um, And often by um, starting to to notice um, those beliefs, we can can really open up to to many more possibilities. Steve um, Armstrong told a story at the retreat about a woman who had um, woke up in the middle of the night and had been, it was in terror, had had a, a nightmare that was had just put her into terror. And that um, normally, when, if she was at home, she would have gone to, to someone, woken someone up, and she would have talked with them about it. But at the retreat, there were noble silence, and so she didn't feel like she could do that. So um, she did what, she followed the instructions that we had been given at the retreat, which was to notice what was happening in the mind and the body. And when she um, turned towards the body, um, she discovered that there was um, just a tingling sensation that was going on in the body. And when she turned towards the mind and heart, she noticed that there was um, a a peace and a spaciousness. And um, so we assume that fear is a particular way, but uh, we have um, strong concepts around that. And so um, we can practice somewhat loosening up our the grip that these concepts have on us, it can really change our, radically change our view of the world. My first teacher, Shenzhen Yang, he told a story about, um, he studied with a Zen master whose name was uh, Sazaki Roshi. And um, Sazaki Roshi uh, just spoke Japanese. He did not speak English, just a bit, but when he would give his talks, he would give them in Japanese, and his students were English, so they would need a translator. And Shinzen spoke fluent Japanese, so he was frequently um, Sasaki Roshi's translator. And when Shinzen started started to do his own teaching, uh, he wasn't able one time to um, to do the translation, and. Um, Sasaki Roshi was really upset with him, and so he was, you know, reading him out for um, going off on his own. And Shenzhen's first impulse was like, "Oh, you know, all I've done for him, and now what he's just ragging on me." And and then he stopped, you know, because he realized that he was just in his usual habit of when somebody criticized him, the kind of response he would get. And he stopped, and he turned his awareness towards what was happening in his body. And in his body, there was just like this um, 
extremely pleasant massage of, that was going on. It was just um, you know, incredibly pleasant. And um, you know, he, he said that um, when someone such as Sasaki Roshi, who is you know, a very um, liberated being, that um, when they get angry, it's just like a flow of nature. And um, that's what he was experiencing was just um, the, the flow of nature when he remembered to pay attention. So one of the um, things that um, that we can do to um, to help us to um, to let go of our our beliefs is um, we can practice this um, quality of, of this awareness of not knowing this. Um, recognition of not knowing that um, really when things arise we have a strong opinion about them but we really don't know is the, the truth of it and um, so um, I'd just like to read this um, a little bit from um, something one of the uh, Western Vipassana teachers Gil Fransdell um, his suggestions about this practice of not knowing. It says, um, Buddhist practice involves an interplay between knowing and not knowing. In Vipassana, or mindfulness meditation, we often emphasize knowing and seeing deeply into our lived experience. However, just as our capacity to know can be developed, so can we cultivate a wise practice of not knowing not knowing is emphasized in Zen practice, where it is sometimes called beginner's mind. An expert may know a subject deeply, yet be blinded to new possibilities by his or her preconceived ideas. In contrast, a beginner may see with fresh, unbiased eyes. The practice of beginner's mind is to cultivate an ability to meet life without preconceived ideas, interpretations, or judgments. A simple but profound way to practice not knowing is to add, I don't know, to every thought. This is most effective in meditation when the mind has quieted down. So, for example, if the judgment arises, this is a good meditation session, or this is a bad meditation session, respond with, I don't know. Follow the thought, I can't manage this, I need that, or I am blank with I don't know. Like the bumper sticker that says question authority, the phrase I don't know questions the authority of everything we think. Repeating the words I don't know allows us to question tightly held ideas. Done thoroughly, I don't know can pull the rug out from under our most cherished beliefs. All too often we don't question our beliefs, and since virtually every train of thought has some implicit belief when we question our thoughts, we question these beliefs. 
don't know can also be directed at motivations that lead us to act. Before adjusting your posture in meditation or quitting walking meditation early, notice that belief is operating in the motivation. Then direct don't know to the belief and see what happens. The practice of not knowing needs to be distinguished from confusion and debilitating doubt. Confusion is not a virtue. The confused person is somewhat lost and removed from life. With doubt, the mind is agitated or contracted with hesitation and indecision. These mind states tend to be obscure rather than tend to obscure rather than clarify. Furthermore, confusion and doubt are generally involuntary. Not knowing as a practice is a choice meant to being to bring greater peace. But lest we take the not knowing practice too far, Suzuki Roshi said, not knowing does not mean you don't know. It doesn't require us to forget everything we have known or to suspend all interpretations of a situation. Not knowing means not being limited by what we know, holding what we know lightly so that we are ready for it to be different. Maybe things are this way, but maybe they're not. So this is a practice that's worth investigating. And um, when we see things in a, in a new and fresh way, it, um, it brings a lot of happiness and joy. And so it's, um, it's a worthwhile practice to take a look um, at our beliefs and to um, to question if we know or not. The uh, the first of the uh, the first step of the Noble Eightfold Path is right view, and um, so this is is part of right view to to notice our fixed views and. Um, and to be interested in, in seeing um, if there are other possibilities that uh, we might choose. In the guided meditation, uh, the instruction was to notice what um, takes us away from, um, from ease. And this is um, another way of, of letting go. So, and we can um, practice this anytime, um, not just on the, the cushion, but just to notice um, when there's some ease that has arisen, or to um, consciously um, choose to see if we can just be a little more useful in any given moment. Explore how that's possible to bring some ease to um, to a given moment, and then to, to notice what what takes us away from that. And um, when we notice what takes us away from it, it is um, 
thoughts in the mind that um, that we either um, are interested in um, enhancing and in proliferating further or in getting rid of. And um, so then we can notice the uneasefulness of that and um, see if it's worth holding on to, see if it's worth um, continuing to um, to build on that thought. Um, planning is a really common thing that, um, that comes up when we um, sit to meditate. So, um, or in, you know, when we're doing our daily activity, it's quite common as well. And so noticing when planning arises and seeing if in this moment it's really necessary to continue with that planning. It's not that we are never going to plan um, as human beings, we need to plan our lives, and that's a natural, normal human activity. But um, we tend to be um, obsessive about it. And um, so we can just notice that and see if we can, at some point during that process, we can let go of it and return to a more easeful state. One thing that we can practice is um, in our, you know, we're going about our daily activities, we might notice that that planning is arising, that, um, you know, we're projecting something onto the future about how things are going to, to be and what we're going to do and how things are going to play out. And that's a really good time. We can, we don't know. We really don't know what the next moment is going to, to bring. And so, you know, maybe we can just stop at that point and say, don't know. And um, that can be a, a really, um, give us some powerful insight into, um, into the, our habit of um, trying to make things secure and comfortable and, um, you know, kind of looking at this fear of, um, of things being not known, and um, is that really a valid fear? Um, we spend a lot of time um, fearing the unknown, and um, just just to it, it just takes a second to to notice that planning and to to notice don't know and to to change our belief really in that. Um, in that, um, in the reality of that future that we're planning, and um, of course that also, when that, oftentimes when that um, plan doesn't materialize, then there's disappointment and, um, and uh, unhappiness about that, and whereas really we just weren't being realistic about the power and control that we have over, um, over the future. So the last thing I'd like to share is um, just a, a 
part of a story that um, was told at the retreat that I was on. And perhaps some of you have heard this story. It's a um, it's a Native American. It's a traditional Native American story about enlightenment, about the um, path to enlightenment and freedom. And it's um, it's called a jumping mouse. And I'm just going to tell the very beginning of the story because it it has to do with um, renunciation. So. Um, At this point, um, it's just mouse. So this little mouse is um, busy doing her activities, um, you know, mostly things that uh, that all mice need to do: gathering food and making their nest and such. But she hears a, a faint roar, and so she goes to some of the other mice and. She says, you know, I hear this roar in my ears. Do you hear this? And they said, no. I don't hear that. We're busy. Go away. We've got most things to do. And so, but she, she just can't ignore it. And so she gathers up all her courage, and she decides to go towards where she hears this roar. And um, as she goes towards the, the sound, I mean, it's really quite a brave thing for a little mouse to do to leave her um, fellow mice and to go off. And as she goes along, she meets a raccoon. And she says to the raccoon, do you hear the roaring? And the raccoon says, oh, yes, I, I hear that. And I know what it is. It's the river. And so the little mouse says, well, I, would you take me there? I really want to you know, see what is causing this roaring and then maybe I can go back and tell the other mice about it and you know they'll understand that there actually is a roaring that's going on and so um, the raccoon leads the little mouse down to the river and the river is magnificent and the little mouse never imagined that there was anything like this that existed and so she's just in awe and so the, um, the raccoon introduces her to Brother Frog, who is sitting on a lily pad in the river. And um, she asks Brother Frog, um, you know, can, can uh, he help her? I mean, now she's seen this incredible, you know, the flow of life, this river, and and um, you know, can he help her to understand it? And so he says, tells her to um, to put her nose as close to the ground as she possibly can, and to jump as high as she possibly can. And when she does that, she does as she's told. She um, sees the sacred mountains, and then she falls into the river. And um, which was quite shocking, <laughs> but she's able to, to get out, and um, she is um, able to, to go back to to the other mice who are not interested in even hearing about the river. But um, so it's this idea of on the, the spiritual path 
that you know, putting our nose to the, as close to the ground as we can. It's this idea of renunciation, um, of humility, of, and then the jumping, the effort that we need to make in order to um, to um, further our um, freedom and liberation um, on the spiritual path. So if you want to hear the rest of the story, you can look it up on the web, The Jumping Mouse. It's worth the read. So I'm going to stop here and uh, just see if there's people have any things to share about uh, their practice of renunciation or any questions I have about the practice. Restraint, or at at the end, effort? No, I'm just supposed to. Restraint and reaction. Yeah. Yeah. you say what you what difference you I'll think about that. Um, I mean, the, the the word the word that describes this um, this wholesome trait is renunciation, and it is more than it. It definitely is more than restraint. It, it has a, a definitely a further meaning. I mean, it ultimately it means um, renouncing our self-centered preoccupation with our self-centeredness or seeing through the misconception of that. So so it it is more than restraint. But restraint is part of it. Right, not grasping. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And and that is what the, that clinging and grasping is what the Buddha said is the cause of suffering. 
wrapped up in, in the sand. And I don't know the word for it. It starts with P. Oh, parami? 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 What, what the, the, the words that describe these ten? Yes. Those three words that I just used, the rest, not resting, renunciation, and restraint of the same? Well, in the deepest sense, renunciation is renouncing clinging to the self or another way of, of saying that is it's um, it's in um, renouncing grasping attachment but it's but it's more it's more through practice of it's not something we do it's something that is seen wisdom clearly develops and sees the um, the lack of wisdom, the unskillfulness, the undesirability in clinging to things as me, as mine, as myself. Think if we uh, experience varying degrees of renunciation as according to where our life is, how we understand that? Yeah, absolutely. That's why I would I kind of say that you know, the, the restraint thing it is um, sort of the like restraining ourselves from certain actions, whatever is um, you know that's sort of the beginning level or you know a, a basic level of, of that and and as I mentioned then you know with our deepening understanding over time. Um, we wisdom arises, and um, the mind comes to know the um, it, it sees the suffering that's caused by the clinging and the grasping, the attachment, and then there's a willingness to just a natural letting go of that. Because it's hurts. Thank everyone for coming and listening. And uh, just have a couple of um, announcements before we go. It's kind of the quiet time of the summer now, but um, there are a couple of things that are coming up. If um, 
anyone is interested in taking the uh, introduction to mindfulness class, uh, that's going to be starting next Tuesday, um, and it's uh, that's July 21st. There are six um, sessions of that from 7:30 to 9 p.m. Or if you know of anyone who might be interested, there are spaces in that class, and there's a sign-up sheet. Um, in the entryway, or uh, people can send an email if they would like to be put on that list. And then there are a couple of retreats that are coming up. There is a day-long retreat um, a week from this Saturday on July 25th. That's a a whole-day retreat from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. And... um, then there is uh, a half-day retreat. I saw that here. On um, oh, that's not till August 8th. That's from 9 to 1. So, so some opportunities for practice if you have the time. And, um, if that's it, did anyone have else have any announcements about things that are coming up? For the Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.